Inside the pages of Eve Rodsky's book, Fair Play, is a quote from Amy Westervelt that reads, we expect women to work like they don't have children and raise children as if they don't work. And that, my friends, is why women are exhausted. I honestly can't remember how I stumbled upon Fair Play. It doesn't necessarily make a whole lot of sense that I am as big of a fan of this book as I am, as I'm not yet married and I don't yet have kids. But I do hope to do both, marry and have kids someday. And knowing myself, I wanted to walk into both experiences with as much knowledge and information as I could. So I read this book and I loved it. I have sent literally dozens of my friends a copy of this book or recommended it to them. Over dinners, when my friends vent to me about how they feel like they are carrying the weight of their household, raising not just children, but looking after their husband and his needs, plus often working full time, it's just too much. And I send them all to this book and it helps. An entire movement began with a simple text from a husband to a wife. I'm surprised you didn't get blueberries. That text was sent by Seth Rodsky to his wife, Eve, a Harvard-educated lawyer who was overwhelmed in her marriage, motherhood, and career. This text of a household errand failing to buy blueberries at the store was a criticism that probably wasn't intended as such, but most certainly was received as such by Eve. And it was then she realized that their division of labor within their household wasn't working. She decided not only to do something about it inside her home, but to create a movement so that women all over the world could benefit. And benefit they have. Fair Play, which came out in 2019, is one of the rare nonfiction books picked for Reese Witherspoon's book club. It's now also a documentary, and women across the globe are reassessing how their career, marriage, motherhood dynamic affects their time by looking at just four key steps. As I tell Eve in this episode, the crux of her work centers around time. So far, she has written two books, Fair Play, A Game-Changing Solution for When You Have Too Much to Do and More Life to Live, and Find Your Unicorn Space, Reclaim Your Creative Life in a Too Busy World, which came out in 2021. In Fair Play, Eve doesn't just talk about the unpaid, invisible work she was doing for her family or being the she-fault parent responsible for all aspects of their home. She creates a solution, a system that offers couples a new way to divide chores and responsibilities. For the book, Eve interviewed more than 500 men and women to figure out what the invisible work in a family entails and how to get it all done efficiently and created a method to prioritize what's important to your family and who should take the lead on every chore in the home, rebalancing home life and the process and resulting in much happier marriages. Mentioned in Fair Play is the concept of unicorn space, creative time to do what makes each woman and each person interested and interesting. Many women skip over this creative time or push it to the bottom of their priority list because they quote unquote just don't have time for it, but it is actually integral to us as women and makes us better wives, mothers, colleagues, and women. In this book, Eve argues that creativity is not optional, it's essential. And in this episode, we talk about both of Eve's groundbreaking books. Eve is a powerhouse dynamic force. She is an attorney whose experience in family mediation, strategy, and organizational management has contributed to her work in both of her books. She lives in Los Angeles with her husband and three children and is a best-selling author, an in-demand speaker, and one of my favorite guests. I have wanted Eve on the show for years, and I am so thankful that this was able to happen. 
And speaking of being thankful, happy Thanksgiving listeners. This episode is intentionally coming out today because I know so many people, especially women, are stressed trying to cook Thanksgiving dinner while balancing work obligations and having kids off of school and hosting your in-laws and, and, and. I hope whether this episode finds you traveling for the day or at home cooking some green bean casserole that you listen and remember that you're not alone in your stress and that it doesn't have to continue to be this way. Thankfully, now there's a solution. Take a listen. Eve, as I just told you, this is a dream interview for me. I'm so proud of myself that I manifested this interview. (laughs) Welcome to the show. Hi, Rachel, your email, um, about your, uh, your love of fair play being an ambassador really, um, touched me. So thank you for having me. Absolutely. Well, I'm not even married yet. And I have read fair play at least probably three or four times. I probably send the book to friends that are going through marital issues as, as we all do. I do this probably at least a few times a month. And I've listened to you on a ton of other podcasts. As I told you just a minute ago, I will tell the blueberry story in my introduction. So you don't have to repeat it for the millionth time, but as I've read, I've loved both of your books, Fair Play and Find Your Unicorn Space. And at the crux of both of these books, Eve, to me anyway, I didn't write them, but as a reader, the crux of both of these books is about time, the yes. value of a woman's time, how creative time is not optional. That I feel like there is such a through line of time and the value of it in your work. So why does time matter to you? Such a great question. Um, Rachel, time didn't matter to me. Um, In fact, I was conditioned, just like all women are, to believe that our time is, as I say, infinite, like sand, Mm -hmm. whereas men's time um, is is supposed to be treated like diamonds, like it's incredibly precious um, and finite. And if you don't believe me (laughs) that that's how we're conditioned, right? Um, You just have to look at things in society like um, occupational segregation. Like when women enter male professions, salaries automatically come down. Uh, We tell women in health systems that breastfeeding is free when it's really an 1800 hour a year job. Um, And so that's one of my, if you decide to partner up, Rachel, do not breastfeed. That's one of my early recommendations to you, or at least not in the system that we're living. Um, so there is this narrative that women, um, our time is less valuable. If you don't believe me from those two examples, uh, I called 50 schools for fair play, my first book. Mm-hmm. And I asked those schools, why do you call women when a, a child is sick? Yeah. And their answers were not surprising, but they were, well, the child asked for the mother. I was like, well, if the child told you to burn down the school, would you do it? Right. Um, they would, they, they said, um, men don't pick up. They told me that they don't want to bother men. They told me that, um, women were the ones who made themselves available. Mm-hmm. And so the problem with society, believing our time is less valuable is that Ultimately, when we do partner, and that's why I'm so happy that you found fair play before, you know, you are married, it, um, it, it seeps into our consciousness. And I will ask your listeners, right? Have they ever said to themselves in any domestic partnership, it can even be a roommate situation where we start saying things to ourselves. Um, well, my job is more flexible, so I should be the one, you know, 
doing the extra dishes tonight. Um, we say to ourselves in relationships, my partner makes more money than me. So I should be doing, you know, the unpaid labor of the home. We, we say to ourselves in the time it would take me to tell him, her, they what to do. I should do it myself. We say to ourselves, I'm a better multitasker. I'm wired differently to see the crumbs um, that are, you know, accumulating under, under the kitchen table. We say to ourselves, yes, we're both colorectal surgeons. I married um, my best friend from law school, say that's what one friend said to me, um, but I can find the time and my partner is better at focusing on one task at a time. Mm. Those are all, as you know, in fair play, what I call toxic time messages, yep. because women can't find time. We can't fuck with the space-time continuum. We're not Albert Einstein, but there's such a different expectation over how women are supposed to use our time that it became exactly, as you said, the rallying cry of both of my books, that we are allowed to be something other than a parent, mm. something other than a partner and something other than a professional. We are allowed to be Rachel. We are allowed to be Eve. We are allowed to be full humans, integrated human beings who have time choice over our time. Um, but sadly, that's a movement, Rachel, because this premise that all time is created equal is actually completely false in society today. Yeah. And I mean, just so much based off of what you just said, but I, I'm prone to think that most men or most people are good and that most men are not inherently doing this on purpose. I know a lot of husbands, I've heard this from their wives who are my friends say, oh, well, I know Eve will take care of it. Or I know Rachel will take care of it. Or I know insert person here will take care of it. And so they just kind of let it roll off. And we, but for us as women, there's no one else to take care of it, but us, right, I mean, you know, right. it's not going to get done. I, I truly still believe maybe I'm too much of a Pollyanna. I still believe that having a skewed division of labor within a marriage and within a co-parenting relationship is not something that me most men are inherently doing on purpose. Do you, and you kind of touched a hundred percent. Yeah. I, mean, I, still believe, right. I still believe in the goodness of, of, of people and of men, but do you think that women subconsciously or unconsciously taking on the mental load or the invisible work is, is biological? Like we are born nurturers and caretakers, and I know we can work to change it, but are we genetically programmed as women to be the so-called lead parent? A hundred percent not. There's actually the opposite. We see the opposite in primates. We see the opposite in brains. Um, there's a wonderful researcher named Ruth Feldman that I'm very close with. Um, and her work is all about um, the chemical oxytocin. That's our chemical where we, that's the chemical that's released, Rachel, when you hug somebody, when you kiss somebody, when you feel close to somebody, that chemical um, in gay fathers is, is just as prominent and mm. as in women. Um, where we watch how uh, caretakers' brains change. Um, she uses MRI machines to show that once you are an active caregiver, the brain uh, rewards it and continues to make you an active caregiver. So all of this is really cultural. Um, and so the beauty of cultural things um, is that typically they're based on um, they're based on assumptions. And so one of the most beautiful ways to end bias, because again, this is not, fair play became a love letter to men. men. Men were part of the system where nothing works for them as well. Women can be parents, partners, and professionals. Mm -hmm. Men can really only be professionals. Right, you know, right. They're right, seen as right. just breadwinners. So they're even more boxed in than we are, right? right, right. Um, and, and in fact, we know from actually the most popular TED talk that's ever been created. It's a TED talk by a man named Robert Waldinger out of Harvard. 
Um, and I would recommend that everybody take 15 minutes to listen, but it's such a beautiful TED talk. And really what it shows is that for men over 75 years, they've been studying men of all different types, socioeconomic status, different health, health issues, um, different locations. And what they've found is that different occupations, different races, they found that really for men, it's more complicated for women that we can predict whether a man is alive at 85 based on the quality of their relationships at 55. So I would say fair play is actually even more important for men. Um, And so, no, there's no biological difference, but I will say something. One woman, I think, sums it up. And I thought it was so funny that I remembered it. She said what fair play did for her and her relationship was um, was show her partner that she didn't have a magical vagina that whispered in her ear at night what her husband's mother wanted for Christmas. (laughs) That that's all fair play does, right? I mean, I again, I wish my vagina was more magical in that way, no but kidding, it's not. Right? It's it's again, it's this early wiring of women um, in this certain way to handle unpaid labor, emotional labor, um, and so the beauty of that is, if it's that assumption that we have magical vaginas and those assumptions actually aren't true, we can replace those assumptions what with what anti-bias people call structured decision-making tools, mm-hmm. which is fair play is one of those. And what it does is it just, all it does, it doesn't teach you how to live your life, as you know. It, it gives you tools in which to make um, decisions in, with information. Right. And so we know that a really beautiful way to end bias is to move from what I call the three most toxic words in any relationship, we're going to figure it out, Mm-hmm. Um, to something that is more structured in your decision making, which allows assumptions to go away. And that's all fair play is. It, it right. says to you, live your life how you want to live your life, as long as you're making decisions and you're not doing it from a figure it out mindset. Well, and if fair play wasn't a love letter to men, the book would say, if he's not doing this, just leave him and start. Leave. Exactly. No, yeah. what this is, is like, you know, it is, we're going to figure it out. But here, like you said, it's a structured method to do it. It's not just the ambiguous, we'll figure it out. It's right. Like, this, this is how A, B, C, D, E. And there is just this classic story in fair play about the 30 calls and 46 texts that your group yes, of friends yes. got from their respective husbands and partners. When all of you, I think you were at a charity walk one day. I have heard many, I've, I have done so much field research on marriage from my friends. I cannot tell <laughs> you. And I've heard so many of my friends say exactly what your friend said. It would just be easier if I was there, or it's easier for me to just do this myself rather than explain how to do it to him only to have him do it half-assed, or I will just have to come behind him and redo it. I hear that a lot. And I, I can't imagine and I have not been married, but I've been in long-term relationships. I can't, and, and it's happened even then. I can't imagine that this does not breed resentment, right? And so what is the cost hidden or not so hidden to a marriage if not, if you don't address this issue or of, of doing it at all? What is, what is the cost if, if fair, if fair play is not implemented basically in a marriage or a partnership? It's a great, great question. So we're seeing, I'll, I'll tell you the real costs, right? The real costs, of course, are resentment um, and, and rage and um, a sense of um, abandonment and um, all of the really, really sad things I've heard over 10 years. Um, Really, it's this idea of, you know, being invisible to your partner um, and also feeling completely overwhelmed. But Rachel, I think if people aren't still convinced that 
this can work for them. I, I want to point to what we're seeing now 10 years later, because the story you'll tell, my blueberries break down, that was in 2011. Mm. It's now 2023. So we have a lot of data um, that's happened over the past decade. And the thing that I find most significant, and we're actually partnering with United Health Group, like a really big insurer in this country, to look at this health data. But what we what I've seen over a decade is that women who were reporting to me in 2011 and 2012 that they were the ones holding the the cards. Fair play is a metaphor. There are a hundred cards. There's a hundred cards to play with. If and hopefully you're not playing with all of the cards. The goal mm-hmm. is to take cards out of your deck. There's 60 cards. If you have a roommate or you're in a relationship, um, you have a a partner and there's no kids, you add 40 cards um, if you have children, which should just show you the magnitude of why there's resentment after children. You're adding basically almost double the work. Yeah. And so I think in 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 those situations where you're basically um doubling the work or you're in a situation where you're you're you you need to sort of figure it out. This idea of fair play is that you are holding um, cards. It's not about a 50-50 system. And I think that's a, a very important piece just to, to bring up really quickly. Um, there's been a lot of tropes, you know, you have to have a 50-50 partnership or you have to be in a relationship where um, you, you, you know, you, if you don't get it right in the beginning, you didn't marry the right person, it's over. No, no, you can get it right in a practice over time, like exercise. You start with one That's foot over the other. That's an important point, yes. And, and, and when you do that, you start to mitigate what I saw starting in 2011, which was that these women that were holding 67 or more of the 100 cards and telling me that they worked full-time for pay, Rachel, we've been able to follow up with those women over three years, five years, now a decade. And all of those women, at some point when they were holding all of those cards, and they were working full-time for pay, were being treated for stress-related illnesses. Mm. And I think that's what's the most alarming to me. It was the amount of insomnia and hair loss and cancer diagnoses and thyroid issues um, that we were seeing that is really unacceptable, and I don't want women to live that way. So as your ghost of your Christmas future, I'm here to tell you that there, there's no supplement that's going to be able to, there's no eye patch. There's no, you know, walk around the block. That's going to be able to substitute for having someone else help you hold the mental load, because that's where our cortisol is going through the roof. We're taking actually hair samples of people in their cortisol levels and their stress response. It is not pre-menopause. We've had this weird movement to acknowledge menopause, which is great, but somehow that's like the catch-all now for all these symptoms. No, no, no. It's really, really, I believe coming from this mental load from holding too many cards as the fair play metaphor goes. Well, I love the fair play system. I am dating. I'm choosing the person that I want to spend the rest of my life with. 
Fair play is something I would venture to say is something that usually or often at least comes up in a marriage that is already deep in the weeds and oftentimes probably in trouble. And this is obviously talking about fair play is obviously not a first date conversation necessarily, (laughs) but what do you think about maybe, you know, after an engagement before marriage or even right before an engagement, introducing fair play into the conversation? Because I'm not sure I want to marry someone who won't have this conversation with me on the front end, you know? Yeah, I actually do think it's a first date conversation. Really? Um, Okay. And, and, and I think the way you can bring these conversations up is not to say, I expect someone to do all the unpaid labor um, in my house with me, <laughs> but I think it's actually pretty um, easy to ask some of those questions in stories. So the way I like to tell people if they're dating, again, it doesn't have to necessarily be a first date conversation, but a couple of dates in, you know, you can ask questions like, who did the grocery shopping in your house growing up? You know, you can tell each other stories. Like if I was dating you, Rachel, I would tell you that um, we could pick one of the cards. You can say, look, on this, I listened to this, you know, wacky woman, um, but but she has lots of great credentials because men care about that stuff, uh, or a lot of them do. And here's what she says. She says, when we're dating, we should just pick one of these cards and just have a conversation about it, right? So say you pick the groceries card. Mm-hmm. Um, instead of saying, I need you to own groceries, that's not what we're dealing with right now. That's later on when you're living with somebody or you're starting to cohabitate or think about it, um, or you wanna see how they do things in their household. But early on, what I like to see people who are dating do is just to tell each other stories. So Rachel, if we were dating and I pulled the groceries card to have a conversation with you. And remember, there's a hundred cards you can pull from. They can, they, they're, I'm just pulling right now. Who taught you to ride a bike? Who was your tooth fairy growing up? Like all these questions, right? And those um, are interesting questions that I would They are interesting. Even if I'm not going to marry you, you know what I totally. mean? Totally. They're very interesting. And they're, they allow people to have conversations they normally wouldn't have. Because usually it's a, how is your day? How is work? It's so present-based. Mm-hmm. It's hard to get into people's past without feeling like you're prying. So some of these conversations are fun. So if we were dating, I would tell you, Rachel, that um, our my grocery routine was I went with my mother and my brother. New York is always so cold. That's what I remember going into the freezer section of Pathmark in <laughs> Chinatown and always being freezing no matter what time of year it was, never liking to be in the grocery section. My mother would teach me about unit prices. All I wanted was like the Tide. I wanted like any of the household products that had color in them. And I would just get this white and black box called um, No Frills. It was at the Pathmark in Chinatown. And we'd go Sunday nights because that's when there was um, sales on meat. And so um, now you know a lot about me. That was like 20 seconds. You probably know more about me um, than we have in the past. Because now you know I grew up with a single mother. Or at least that was you know implied mm-hmm. You know that we cared about unit prices. So you know that money was an issue in my relationship. Like you start to get a sense of who I am as a person. And I would love for you to do the same, right? Like, so just for two seconds, tell me, Rachel, tell me anything you remember about groceries growing up in your household. I remember I'm also a product of a single mother. I'm an only child. So my mom and I would go to the local Dillon's, which is, I think, a local chain in Kansas. And um, and this is a different time, obviously. But I would, me being me, I would go to the magazine <laughs> section and sit on the ground and read magazines while my mom grocery shopped. You could never do this in my hometown now. And this is in the early 90s. And um, I would um, read the magazines and a lot of tabloids about OJ Simpson. I do remember yes. that. 
Los Angeles, putting us back in the mid, the early to mid nineties. And then she would do the shopping and then she'd come grab me and we'd check out and go home. I love that. And I love that that is sort of this really cute little, I can picture like little Rachel, like wanting to be in magazines, you know, and thick, thick glasses on before I had contacts, just sitting on the ground, reading magazines about tabloids about OJ Simpson. And that's actually so interesting. I've never thought about that. And now here we are. I'm a magazine editor. That's what I mean. Right. I mean, look how that is so interesting that we make these connections for ourselves. And again, I would never in any other context, you know, sort of, unless we really sat down for dinner, how would I know that you also, you and I had this joint experience, right, of being mm-hmm. products of single mothers, and um, and I can picture sort of that Dylan's, um, and so it's just there's some humanity that yeah. comes back into the cards because I think for too long we've called these things housework and chores, where I really believe these fair play cards, you know, like I said, whether it's the informal education card, which includes riding bikes, or the groceries card, or even the health insurance card. I'm pulling more, the gifts card, you know, buying gifts for other people. This is not chores and housework. This is our humanity, Rachel. Mm-hmm. And so if we can invest in our humanity, I think we'll be in a better place in society, right? And that's really what the fair play movement is about. Mm-hmm. It's this idea that holding a child's hand in the pediatrician's office should be as valuable to us as an hour in the boardroom. Absolutely. And I, I think I want to touch on a point that you made earlier that I wasn't really planning on asking about, but it's so important to know that this is not just a, you do the fair play system and your marriage is magically cured and you never have to refine it again. Like it's something that's going to have to be refined over and over and over again. And I want to jump to my married listeners for a minute. So for our listeners who are compelled by this, they're going to read the book. They're going to implement this into their marriage. The vows have been said long ago or recently. How do you suggest doing this in a way? I'm talking about male female partnerships at the moment where the woman introduces this to her husband how do you suggest doing this in a way that doesn't upset him and you know you know you need this he probably knows you need this you don't want to dance around it with kid gloves necessarily but not all women eve are as bold as you to make a shit i do spreadsheet and mail it yes, and yes, email, yes. email it to their husband and say we need to talk about this so how do you suggest introducing this into the conversation because not it's like we don't have to play with kid gloves and dance around and not upset our partners, but you know, you want to, you want to handle it in a way that's going to be the most effective. So how do you present this to them in the most effective way? Absolutely. I would say that the most effective way in my mind is to understand two things. As you said, first, this is a practice. And so it's like saying, I want to go, you know, I want to run a marathon with you. Well, that's really not going to work, right? If you've never done a training run, if you've never like figured out a plan for what you're going to do to sort of train for that marathon, you're not going to run the 26 miles or whatever miles marathon is. I don't run, so I don't know. But yeah, so it's 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 a, a practice. I think the hardest part is um, there's three parts in the magical formula for a home as an organization. And treating your home as an organization is how I like to bring this to people. You know, figure it out is not something that's working for us. Um, we're waiting to decide who's taking the dog out, right? When it's about to take a piss on the rug every single night, we're both, you know, b- bitchy to each other and and tired. So like, let's try to bring some more efficiency into our home. And the way to bring more efficiency into our home is really the secret formula. The secret formula is we need boundaries for our home. We need systems for our home and we need communication for our home. 
So if you know that as a person, the beauty is that you can be practicing any one of those three. Just like if you're training for a marathon, I would say, you know, go do a spin class, go, you know, do some Pilates, you know, do your training run. Um, because you're not going to exercise once in your life and say you're fit. Like if you did that to your doctor, they would laugh at you. You I can't say you're easy. <laughs> I wish it was that easy. <laughs> Just like I wish that, you know, investing in a relationship was that easy. But fair play is an investment in the relationship, just like it is, you know, an investment in your exercise. I mean, you're in your heart health if you're going to exercise. And so it's this idea of saying, this is what a successful organization takes. It takes boundary systems and communication. And let's decide we want to work on first. And so I'd say most of the time, the, the system is the easy part, right? So I always say introduce the system last. If you have a partner who is ready to go, right? Who's somebody who is so helpful already and it's just inefficient because you're still sort of doubling up on that work, of course, head straight for the fair play system. You know, we teach you how to use it in, in, the, in the book. But for most people, it's the beginning of this conversation, Rachel. Most people, most women especially, have to do work on themselves to actually believe their time is diamonds. Mm-hmm. Because they've heard since they are born that their time is worth less than men's time. And yep. so we have to work on ourselves, right? We have to be in this community with each other. We have to hold space for the pain that our lives maybe don't look the same as we thought they were going to, mm. that we, we we didn't you know meet all of our dreams, that these things that people told us were going to make us happy didn't. So that's really a boundaries conversation about how do we convince ourselves that our, we have a permission to be interested and interesting mm-hmm. uh, in our own lives, being interested in our own lives, that we have a, you know, we have the same amount of time choice that we deserve to, you know, to hold that time choice. If we have a partner who golfs six hours, we <laughs> get those six hours too. Um, and, and so it is. That's the hardest part is this idea that how do you combat these narratives? How do we, you and I start to help people combat these narratives that you're not a better multitasker, that you're not wired differently for care, that there's no gender difference in how you multitask, that your job is not more flexible, that you should have a partner who has a fair division of labor, regardless of whether you make money for that family. Mm-hmm. These are things that we have to unpack. Um, and so while we're doing that, I would say something you can invest in with your partner is a daily check-in. There is nobody who does it because people don't com- understand that communication is a practice. People think communication is transactional. I'm telling Ra- I'm talking to Rachel today to tell Rachel to go pick up our kid from school. But if I'm looking at my communication with Rachel instead as I'm talking to Rachel to get better at talking to Rachel, Mm -hmm. this idea of a practice will start to make more sense. So what I would say to people is start to implement just a daily check-in, right? That becomes a practice that's non-negotiable. We get 10 minutes a day. We set a timer, eight minutes a day, four minutes each, just a download on how our day was, anything we want to talk about. Mm -hmm. Once you get into a practice of having emotion is low, cognition is high conversations, then you will be, you're practicing getting ready for the fair play conversations. Mm-hmm. Well, I, this, this question actually relates to, and it's brilliant, by the way, like that is amazing advice. I heard, I've heard of marriages that, cause obviously a marriage is not a business, but it also is, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's, it's a business, it's a partnership and at the end it's of the an day, organization, it's an organization. Correct. That's what I call it. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. An organization. And 
you, you don't have to look at it as a, as a business. You don't have to look at it as it's totally a place for love, but there's something in the middle. It is an organization. An organization is people working together for common goals. Like that's how I like to define the organization. Exactly. That your home is one. And and I've heard of, of couples having like a weekly meeting, like a weekly check-in meeting. And I love the, I love the daily check-in because it, it makes it a lot less arduous. Like instead of having it all come out once a week, just, you know, just a check-in here and there. I love the low emotion, high cognition, but I, I want to talk about this question because it relates to both of the books. There is a through line. So unicorn space is actually mentioned in fair play and yes. the unicorn space goes on to get its own book. The question about being so damn busy. I do not, I feel like we as a society and especially as women have never been busier. I see the mental load and the second shift and the invisible work and the she fault parenting, all of it. So evident in my friends, we are, we are so busy. We are too busy and of time. Cause it all kind of, all roads kind of lead back to time within your work. And in fair play, you write with more time and available headspace, just think of what you could do. So unicorn space actually makes, as I said, an appearance in fair play, it's what your second book's all about. I'd like you to tell my listeners what unicorn space is. And I want you to talk back to my listeners who will read find your unicorn space and say, I don't have any hobbies. I'm not creative. That's just not how I'm wired. And of course the endless toxic time messages. So what is unicorn space? And what would you say to someone who says, I think that you write in unicorn space, the world's on fire. Why do I need to focus on myself? (laughs) Well, I think we've had too much of a focus on ourselves sometimes and this idea that we can find happiness through gratitude, journaling ourselves to death, Rachel, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's the exact opposite point of, of find your unicorn space. The idea of unicorn space is it's a space that's magical and mythical, like a unicorn, but doesn't fucking exist for women (laughs) because we don't believe that we can be unavailable to anybody really. Um, especially God forbid you're an eldest daughter, uh, uh, like, as you said, uh, uh, an only child of a, you know, we are on the hook for caretaking for our brother, my yeah. disabled brother, my mother who's getting older, um, my dad, his garage collapsed. He wanted, he needs money for his garage. Like there's just, there can be an endless amount of caretaking. Um, if we don't set that, my time is also diamonds boundary. And so this idea of creating a unicorn space, um, what we're seeing is, Back to that health data I was trying to bring up earlier about what we're seeing in terms of the negative effects of of health, um, of unpaid labor on women. The unicorn space is basically the opposite entry point to why it's important to value your time, which is the positive side of a creative practice. A creative practice um, allows you to have dopamine, uh, a lot of other chemicals in, 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 in a way that shopping and edibles and doom scrolling and binge watching do not. Yep. And so we need to invest in these creative practices. And so ironically, a book about the gender division of labor, the follow-up book is really telling women, asking women, imploring women, pleading with women to, to use their time wisely. Mm-hmm. And I, I recognize that we're breathing polluted air, right? We're living in a system that makes it the hardest it's ever been, as you said, for women to be women and to be to be mothers in terms of intensive parenting, lack of support system, assumptions on us, social media. It's just really a nightmare out there. But the beauty is that we don't always have to be happy. 
The second book is teaching you that asking your child, how are you, you know, how can I make you happy? I just want you to be happy or yourself. I just want to be happy is the wrong question. Mm. What we want to be centering is mental health. And Unicorn Space is a book that teaches you that true mental health is not how to be happy. It's having an appropriate emotion at an appropriate time, yet you're able to have the ability and strength to weather it. Unicorn space is a billion strength to weather all the emotions we're going to have. And I need people to be able to weather it because our emotions are just going to get more varied. It's just going to get harder. The news is very, very dark right now. So So how do we, how do we live through these really, really dark times, right? We do that by having curiosity, connection, and completion. Those are three very important things that we need to invest in for our mental health. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm all over the place, but I want to jump back to fair. And it's all so good. These books, these two books are essential for womanhood, honestly. Like, thank I, you. I'm so thank thankful you. that I found them when I did, because I, I hope I would have found them eventually, but reading these things before I take on marriage, before I take on parenting, I think it's only going to make me a better partner. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And, and by the way, Rachel, this is a one-on-one. I want your listeners to understand mm-hmm. this is a practice that took me 10 years. And so if some of these messages feel triggering, or I don't know what this person's talking about, I can never do that. Or, uh, you know, there's some tension when you listen to some of what we're saying, that's okay. It should feel that's that way. okay. That it should feel change. that way. Yes. That, that it feels there's that way. There's something that needs to change. If you're, if yeah. you're hearing these things and feeling nothing, then you might have it more figured out. But if yes, then we reading, do. <laughs> if you're reading this and, and you're, or you're hearing this and you're like, oh my gosh, this feels uncomfortable. Good. I'm glad that means that you need to do the work. And yes, I'm, and I'm yes. so glad that I'm getting the, opp- I'm getting a bit of a late, a quote unquote late start. Although who, who says what normal is anymore anyway, but I'm so thankful that I'm reading books like these. It will make me a better partner and a better parent. And as we begin to start to close our time together, this is, you know, again, I'm doing all this field research from my friends who are married with children and you, Eve, you're a Harvard educated lawyer. A woman could be president of the United States, but for example, at their kid's school, they are Zach's mom, right? Yeah. It's very, it's very easy to become a wife and a mom and forget who you are. And yes, you know, how you, you just said this a second ago that part of fair play is reclaiming your right to be interesting, which yes. to me means yes. reclaiming your right to be a person independent of the title. Like there's, there's that thing in, in the book. That's like, she is a wife. She is a mom. And it's like, no, you're just, you are something on your own without your title. So how does one maintain a sense of identity beyond the roles they play and the hats they wear? Such a great question. I think it's such an important place, but I want, I think I want people to just, as you said, sort of, you know, this is where we can end, which I think is really impactful. We're here for you. That's we're here for you in this movement. Um, and, and typically I would like for people to do me two favors. One is to identify what is holding, what would hold them back if they wanted to prioritize their piano playing life or their acrobatic life um, or one woman who became a rower rowed from San, she ended up rowing from uh, Santa Barbara all the way to Hawaii. And she actually won the world record. So we don't have to be her, but, but if there's time that we, you know, cur- things that make you curious and excited and why we choose not to do them, 
I want people to ask themselves, are they doing it because they really don't believe that they have a permission to be unavailable from their roles, that availability is part of their identity? I want people to ask themselves, do they feel that, yes, they deserve to be unavailable, but guilt and shame ruin those times for themselves? Or I want them to ask, yes, I don't typically feel guilt and shame. I know I deserve a chance to be unavailable from my roles, but it's hard for me to ask for what I need from my employer, from my partner, from my community. I think it's very important, Rachel, for people to understand what their largest barrier is Mm -hmm. because then they can start working on that barrier. Um, Guilt and shame is a very important barrier. And so I think I want to just end on, on that barrier and then um, just say one more thing. So for guilt and shame, I work with Dr. Becky. She's a parenting expert. Um, We work a lot together and where our work intersects is this idea that when you set a boundary back to that boundaries systems communication formula for healthy organizations, we talked about earlier, when you set a boundary saying my time is diamonds, I want people to be very, very clear. I want to be very clear with people here that other people will not be happy with your boundary. Never, they never are. They will never be happy. No way. When you say I'm going to be carving out every Tuesday, I'm leaving work early at 4.30 for my pottery class. Your boss will not be doing cartwheels, right? You may get like a rolled eye or a little bit of silence. It is okay. That person does not have to do anything. Your boundary is your boundary. And so we can expect other people's discomfort when we set a boundary. That does not mean you have to change what you're doing. But I want to be very clear that other people's discomfort will come when you set a boundary. So that, so that I think is very, very important. Now that's important because that when you send someone else's discomfort, women will say to me, well, I feel guilt and I change my behavior. So this is where Dr. Becky and I need to explain something to you. What guilt is, is something that's out of alignment with your values. So you feel guilty as Dr. Becky, she loves this example because you yelled at your cab driver because he was in traffic and you needed to get to the airport. You feel guilty because that's out of alignment. You don't yell at people who are trying to help you. That's true guilt. When someone says to me, I feel guilty because I went to go practice piano instead of picking up my child from daycare. That's not guilt because you have to ask yourself is practicing piano is making music out of alignment with my values. Mm-hmm. No, it's not. Is doing this podcast when your child's screaming in the other room, Rachel, out of alignment with your values? No. Rachel values connection and curiosity. I know that about you already from mm-hmm. all all of what you have told me about yourself in this mm-hmm. short amount of time. No. So that's not guilt. What you're feeling is women's people pleasing tendency to take on other people's discomfort. Mm-hmm. That is a very important distinction. If you start to understand the difference between guilt and shame and boundaries setting, it will change your life. I wish that I had three, four, five hours. Yes, yes, I'm like, same. because we both value time. I will just say this. I will close with this. Eve, not everybody in their lives gets to create a movement. Um, a lot of people make a difference and, and almost all of us do in our own little ways, but you have created a movement and these two books will literally change your life. Listeners, I, they've changed my life. And as I said, Thank I'm you. not partnered and I do not have children yet. 
it's life changing. I cannot recommend these enough. This is my dream. This is my apex dream. You. <laughs> Thank the you. Books are, you're welcome. You deserve all the flowers. So the books are in order fair play, a game changing solution for when you have too much to do and more life to live. By the way, side note, I don't know when every single book started to have a subtitle, but I love them. Like <laughs> subtitles are amazing. This did not used to be a thing, but all books have subtitles and they're amazing. And then the second book is find your unicorn space, reclaim your creative life in a two busy world. If you can't get enough of Eve, as I mentioned, she's on a lot of podcasts. I listen to all of them because I just find you, I find what you're saying, not only powerful, but I find you soothing because you give me hope. You really thank do. you. And thank I you. Thank you enough for being on my podcast. I appreciate and I want to say work. one last thing, Rachel. Yeah. Um, I got the most beautiful message from a young Korean man um, uh, who's a lawyer in South Korea who said he's practicing fair play and he's mm. doing it in honor of his sister, who is a high court judge who died of a cerebral brain hemorrhage wow. a week, a week after her father-in-law dies because he said she was handling too much things um, in, in a two, as we said earlier, and in, in, in too much mental load for her family. And he's doing it in honor of his sister because he mm -hmm. believes if he practices fair play, it's the best way to honor her memory. This is the what's happening out there, right? Th that th we, people are starting to understand and wake up to the fact that this is good for all of us. This is not saying you have to do more, so I do less. It's not a zero-sum game. We are starting to center our work, our lives and our work outside of the traditional workplace. Um, and that's scary for a lot of systems and people will try to push us back into those boxes. But I want to say thank you, Rachel, for helping us break out of that mold. I want every person, man, woman, anyone to read these books because it matters. And it, we just think, oh, I'm too busy. No, but if you're carrying, as you just mentioned, a physical component, it's, it, it matters. And so I just can't, I mean, I'm literally sending three or four books a month of fair play. So thank you for being here and please keep doing the work you're doing. Bye. Thanks, Rachel. Just a friendly reminder that before you were so-and-so's wife or husband, and before you were so-and-so's mom or dad, you were you and you still are you and you matter enough to invest your time back into yourself. The crux of fair play boils down to starting where you are now, establishing your values and standards, realizing you don't have to do it all and enacting the CPE, conceive, plan, execute method. And for unicorn space, it boils down to curiosity, connection, and completion, and giving yourself permission to be creative. You not only can do this, friends, but you should. Again, this is a throwback pick episode, so both of Eve's books, Fair Play, A Game-Changing Solution for When You Have Too Much to Do and More Life to Live, and Find Your Unicorn Space, Reclaim Your Creative Life in a Too Busy World are out right now. Well, we've got two episodes left in season eight, and then we will zoom right on into season nine. So stay tuned as we close a fantastic season eight by the end of the month and enter season nine, which I am also so excited about. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone.